series. Okay, I'm going to wake y'all up slowly. I don't think the caffeine's kicked in. So everybody, let's do this. Let's make sure the caffeine's kicked in. Everybody go, whoop! All right, that sounded pretty good. That sounded pretty good. One of the things I've been more excited about than anything in this series is that we get to highlight some of the awesome people that help make Eastgate Church, Eastgate Church. Got a lot of awesome people that serve and give of their time, give of their gifts and their talents to help see lives impacted for the kingdom of God. And two of those people that we're going to talk about this morning as a beautiful couple, Jim and Keely Stills. Guys, we're so glad. We're, we love these guys so much. We love these guys so much. We got a little picture show to show you of Jim and Keely in action around here at the church. It's funny because they moved here. Um, they graduated from Mississippi State, which I'm still struggling with because I'm not a Mississippi State football fan. But they, they graduated, moved to this area, had a baby, and just brand new start in life. And they got connected to the church. The first time I saw these two, I thought, they're going to be with us for a while. And uh, they kept coming back, and God was speaking to them, and they began to get involved in, in the church. And and uh, now they serve with the student ministry. So anytime Urgent's got something going on, you're going to see these two serving their guts out. And I'm so grateful to have such high-caliber people pouring into our students on a regular basis. They were leading a Bible study this morning for Breakfast Club. And uh, I'm just telling you, it's so awesome to have people like that serving at our church. So can we give God praise for that couple, man? And not, not just them, but so many other people that serve and make this church, this church, and I, and I love it. Uh, it's fun to be able to lead with, with these awesome people. All right, you, see, you said you were ready to dive into the Word this morning. Are y'all ready for this? I don't know if we're going to get through all of this today, because when I was praying for today, God gave me a stinking novel to give to you guys. Uh, and when I, some of y'all just went, oh, snap, I'm going to be late for lunch today. Now, we're going to end on time. This might be a two-parter, but I want to be able to give justice to what we're talking about today because I think that what we're talking about today, if we can get it, all right, if we can get this, it will be a game changer for us in our walk with God. If we can get this today, it'll be a game changer in our families. It'll be a game changer in our prayer life. It's going to be a game changer in, in the power and the anointing that we walk in as children of God. It will be a game changer in how we deal with the enemy and his petty little attacks on our lives. It'll be a game changer today for us. So I want you to lean in and take good notes. I think we've got all the notes today up on version. if you want to follow along on your phone. But you're going to want to write some stuff down today, too, because I believe God's going to speak to us as a church in a powerful way today. Because I want to talk to you on the topic of spiritual authority. Spiritual authority from a couple of different angles this morning. One from positional authority, like the authoritative flow that you see set up in, in the structure of a church, and also the positional authority that we have in Christ, but not just that, but the operational authority that is available to us to walk in. Now, I know that probably just sounded deep to a lot of you, so I want you to take a deep breath, all right? Just, and breathe it out, all right? We're not going to get so deep that we drown this morning, but this stuff, if we can get it, I'm telling you, will be a game changer in our lives, Okay? Because we were created to operate with authority. All right. God's original intention for us as his children, when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he gave them something to do. 
He said, I will be the God of heaven, and I want you to have dominion over the earth. And you will represent my kingdom, and you'll represent my authority on the earth. He set it up with, originally with Adam and Eve. They were going to have dominion over the garden, dominion over the earth, and represent God's likeness and God's power and his authority from the garden. When it's all said and done, guys, all said and done, the Bible says that heaven and the earth will pass away and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all of us that are children of God, all of us that have made Jesus our Lord and Savior, for all eternity, the Bible says that we will be doing what? We'll be ruling and reigning with Christ forever. You know what that means? That for eternity, we're going to be operating in some form of positional and operational authority as his children. Because God created us to operate in authority under his authority. Make sense? So, with that in mind, uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. I want to dig into some scripture today because I believe that one of the biggest areas that believers miss out on is this one right here. I think that we could be operating in things that we aren't right now because we either don't apply or understand this. I think that we're overcome by things that are happening in our lives because we don't either understand this or we're not applying this to our lives. This is a big deal. I think that one of the caps that is on the church, in, especially in this country, is that we do not, one, either understand, or two, we are not choosing to operate in the authority and in the power and in the freedom that Jesus has given to his church. And if we want to be a church that is lining up with his original vision for the church, because you remember, it says right here in, in Matthew 16, in verse 18, there he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus established his church. That means that Jesus has a plan for his church. And if we want to be operating as his church, don't you think that it's best that we follow his playbook? And we operate at the standard that he says that we could, because in doing that, we are operating in the fullness of the potential that he envisioned his church to operate in. And most of it is our choice. Um, He says, on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. These two words, church and keys, are they're they're just incredibly, incredibly important understanding what Jesus is saying here. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, if we read over this, most of the translations that you guys are going to have, we're using the NIV translation this morning, is going to say something along the lines, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. She said, I will will build my church. Okay? Um, The word that Jesus is using here is not the word church. Okay, church is a word that we put in later to help us better understand and translate what's happening here. The word that Jesus used here is, a, is it sounds kind of tricky, it's, it's a big word called ecclesia. 
Everybody say ecclesia. Sounds like something you don't want to catch, doesn't it? Guys, I can't come into work today. I done went and caught the ecclesia. I don't believe I'm going to be able to make it. It's something awful on me right now. You know, the ecclesia. What that means is to be called out or set apart or a separate or a set apart assembly. Okay? And we get the word church because we know that as the children of God, he has literally called us out to himself, right? He has set us apart as his people, and we are a set-apart assembly. As a church, we assemble together in this world, not of this world. That's what the Bible says. That's how it's loosely translated today. But, everybody say but. Not the bad kind of but, the but that means we're going to stop and, and talk for a second. But, that's not really what Jesus is getting at here. Okay? Because this word ecclesia, this isn't a word that Jesus just made up on the spot. Okay? This is a word that was already in existence. This is a word that already had a cultural purpose and meaning in the world that he was living in today. So in order to accurately understand what the Bible is saying, you can't just read it for face value sometimes. You have to look at what's happening culturally and the time that was, that, and you have to look at the people group that it's being said to. Jesus is using a cultural hot word here, ecclesia. Ecclesia, listen to me now, it's a governmental term. All right, ecclesia, ecclesia in that day was a group of people that functioned in the government under the authority of the king or the Caesar, both in Rome and in Greek cultures, okay, and Greek was kind of under Roman control at the time. But they, they operated under the kings. So the king gave a command. The ecclesia was a chosen group of people separate from their group to form an assembly. One, to represent their people. But two, and this is, this is the cool part, to execute and implement the command of the king for his people. They were a governing group of people. Jesus isn't just saying, I'm going to establish my church. What he's saying is this. I'm going to establish, I'm going to establish a called out group of people that will govern under my authority to implement my commands to move my kingdom agenda forward on this earth. That's what he's saying. Now, that by itself would be stinking cool. Because that means that we're not just a church, but we are part of an authoritative system set up by Jesus to mirror the original intent, uh, uh, intent of mankind to, to reflect his likeness and to operate under his authority and have dominion over this earth. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. So, so this is what Jesus is saying. But what's really cool about this is where he's saying it. Okay, so he's not just using a cultural word to, 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 to give a deeper meaning to our operation and function as a church. Okay, he set us up to flow under his authority and, and operate in authority on this earth. But, but, he's making this statement in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is where you did not want to go if you love God. All right? Caesarea Philippi would be like a combination between Mardi Gras and the wildest night in Vegas that you could possibly dream of, uh, all mixed together. 
and then throw in some uh, St. Patrick's Day in there too, all right? People were plastered. People were, there, there was all, we got young ears in here. There was, there was some very loose activity happening amongst people um, all over the place. Um, and there were, there were some temples set up in this area, temples that were set up to a couple of, of, of Greek gods and Roman gods. One was the temple of Zeus. The other one was the temple to this god named Pan, all right, a fertility kind of god. And so in these temples, there would be temple prostitutes doing what temple prostitutes do. All right? Now, Jesus is in front of this place with all this activity going on in front of him, watching people worship these false gods, watching the temple prostitutes take their customers and go back in the rooms and do what they do, and all this crazy stuff, all the sacrifices that were taking place. They were sacrificing animals. Human sacrifice in this area was not uncommon. Okay, it was a, it was a spiritually dark place, all right? But there was a cave behind one of the temples, the Temple of Pan, all right, that was noted as being the gates of hell or the gates of Hades. So maybe just if you go back, to uh, the, the passage in, in Matthew, guys, if you will, when he talks about the gates of Hades not overcoming the church, there might be a deeper meaning to this because of where he is. He's literally at a place called the gates of hell because it was so spiritually dark for over a thousand years, generation after generation, called this place the gates of hell. Spiritually dark place for multiple generations. Jesus goes there to say, I want to establish my church here on this rock. What's cool, there's something else that's cool. Y'all want to hear this? Something else is cool about this. All right. So not only is Jesus saying, I'm establishing my government here, my church here, my authority here, and my representation of authority here at a place called the gates of hell, the most spiritually dark place that he could get to at his time. You know, when, when a kingdom would come in and conquer another kingdom in that day, what they would do is, first, one of the first things they would do is they would destroy all religious structures. They would destroy all representation of that culture's God, and they would immediately build a temple or a building or some kind of structure to represent their God. Okay? So they would destroy the temple of the people that they conquered, and they would establish and build a temple to their own God that they worshipped as a sign of complete conquering. And that's what they would do. All right? They would, sometimes they would knock down government buildings and rebuild new government buildings to say, completely destroyed We've completely conquered you, and now we're establishing ourselves on top of you because you are a conquered culture and a conquered people, all right? This is what Jesus is doing. He goes to the darkest place, to the very gates of hell, and he says, he says, I will build my church, he says, on this rock, I will establish at the gates of hell, he's saying, I will establish my government on top of the government of the enemy. I will establish my kingdom on top of the kingdom of the enemy. I will establish my power and my authority over him because he is a conquered 
foe, a conquered culture. He's a conquered kingdom. And I will establish my church here. And the gates of hell, where we are right now, will not prevail against it. That is stinking awesome to me. There's so much happening here. And what's crazy is Jesus hadn't even died on the cross yet. It's kind of like he's punking the devil. Like, he's, he's kind of just like looking the devil in the eyes and saying, you know what, it ain't nothing but a matter of time. I know I hadn't died yet. I know I hadn't been resurrected yet. I know I don't have the keys yet to death, hell, and the grave. But it ain't nothing but time, baby. I'm establishing my government right here on top of you. And there's not one thing you can do about it. Now, that's who we are. We are the church that Jesus has established. Now, listen to this. He has established his authority and his power through his church, through his ecclesia, through us to have dominion, to have power, to have authority over all the kingdom and the work of the enemy that is at play in this world right now. That means that there's not one thing that the enemy can throw at you that you haven't already overcome in Jesus because you represent the most high authority, the most high power. It's not that stinking awesome. What Jesus is doing here is mind-blowing to me. And then he turns around and he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See, not only am I establishing my authority here and my church here, but I am transferring, I am trusting the keys to my house, the keys to my kingdom. I'm giving the keys. Keys are a representation of authority because you can only get access to places that you have keys to. You understand me? So he said, I am trusting you, my church, with the keys to this kingdom. And so whatever you bind on earth in my authority, under my authority, is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on that authority is loosed in heaven. He's saying, I am transferring this authority to you to operate in. You are going to operate above the systems of the world. You are going to operate above the culture of the world. You're going to operate in a power and in an authority that is above what you're going to see because you are representing me, my church, my ecclesia. My called out ones. That's amazing. Jesus established the church to be a representation of his authority. And he established us in him under that authority to operate in that authority in our daily lives. That means everywhere you go, the kingdom of God goes with you. You realize that? Everywhere you go, the authority of God goes with you if you are a believer. If Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, if you are part of his church, you are part of that group, that means that you got something special about you that ought to set you apart and set you above everything that you face in life. Now, most people don't understand that. And the few that do don't choose to operate in it. Can you imagine how different our lives would look if we actually lived this out? had a little bit more swag about us not like arrogance but swag what you got today devil i don't give a rip because i already kicked your butt in jesus you know it, it, i don't care i'll bring it on i've overcome what you're sick that's fine because i can pray for you because as the church 
I operate in authority, under authority. That means that what I bind is bound, what I lose is loose, and I can pray and speak healing over you. And if it lines up with the will of God, healing will take place. Blessing will take place. You, do you understand the potential that you walk in as a child of God? This is stinking awesome. It's, it's, it's a spiritual authority, positionally and operationally. But, but there's a little price tag to this. Okay? It's a gift that we get from God as his church. But God's smart. He's pretty smart. He operates in wisdom. Uh, he knows better than to give the keys to his new Lamborghini to a dude that just got his learner's permit. That means that there has to be a process of maturing that takes place in us spiritually. While positionally, all right, we have that authority. Is this making sense? And while positionally we have that authority, does not mean that we're at the place where we can operate in the deeper things of the Spirit of God and the deeper things and the, the higher levels of his power and authority because we got some maturing to do in ourselves. I mean, doesn't mean that God can't move through you. Doesn't mean that God can't move in you. It just means that if you want more of God and if you want to see his power and his spirit moving more and more through your life, there's a little bit of growing up that has to happen. Make sense? Okay. Um, there's a principle with spiritual authority that you got to get. You got to get this. You got to give up to go up. You got to give up to go up. Okay? You got to give up to go up. Now, I'm not talking about earning salvation or anything. I don't want you to get confused because sometimes people get confused when people like me say stuff. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about working your way into heaven. I'm not talking about earning the love of God. There's no way you can earn the love of God because God gives his love freely to each and every one of us. There's nothing you can do right now to, to make God love you any more than he already does. Doesn't that just take some pressure off when you think about that? On my best day, God loves me. On my worst day, God still loves me. When I kind of get it right, he still loves me. I love that. Nothing we can do is going to change that. The Bible says that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. The love came first. The sacrifice of Jesus came second. You don't earn that. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. You don't earn that. But there is a spiritual journey that we're all on, right? We're all on different stages of it. We're all in different places of maturity in here. Um, some of us are incredibly close to God. Some of us are just trying to figure out this whole concept of, are you kidding me? He loved me enough to send his son to die for me. That's the greatest thing ever, you know? So we're right here, like on this first step in our spiritual journey. It, we take it when Jesus, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But there's a process of steps that we go to in our growth and in our maturity spiritually to become more like Jesus. Because the goal is to become more like Jesus, right? The goal is to become like Jesus, not like Pastor Josh, not like Pastor Jeremy, not like Dave Varney, not like BJ. The, the goal is to be like Jesus. Amen? Amen? He established the church. He's our Lord and Savior. We don't put anybody up on a pedestal around here except Jesus Christ. The goal is to be like Jesus. But you're not going to be there overnight. 
There's a process that we have to go through. And so this life that we live is a process of us getting closer to God, becoming more like Jesus, letting him change us from the inside out so we can reflect him better, more like him, less like we used to be. We're giving this up so that we can go up to become more like Christ. So we take a step, and God continues to work in our hearts. We get closer to God, and we move closer to him. And he says that if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. So we take that step and say, God, I, I, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. I'm reading my Bible more and spending time in prayer, and I just want to get closer to you. And he begins to speak to you. And he'll say, okay, here, here's what we're doing. And he'll begin to work on you from the inside out and change you from the inside out. And, and when that change happens and you get a, a deeper and stronger glimpse of him, you're like, man, God, you're so awesome. I want to take another step towards you as you empower me, as you equip me, as you do your work in me and change me to make me a little more like who you want me to be. And I'm taking a step closer to you and further from who I used to be. Got to give up that to move up closer to him. Does that make sense? Got to give up to go up. You got to give up to go up. And this principle that you see is all through scripture. We give up as we move closer to God. Now, some people try to, to do this in their own strength, and they jack it up royally. All right, you're only going to be able to go so far trying to change yourself. Okay, there's some stuff in us that's so jacked up that only God can fix. All right, and if it's happening right, it's happening from the inside out, not from the outside in. So, so we begin to move, but in 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 uh, positional authority in our lives, and and in operational authority in our lives, this looks different than most people picture leadership operating. Like, just say, like. Um, <clears throat> like in layers of authority in a church, like if you were going to picture a leader, all right, someone who's in charge, someone who's, who's leading masses of people, um, a, lot of, a lot of different pictures. Like if I would say stop right now and picture the greatest leader that you can think of in this world, we're going to get different pictures mentally in here of what a leader's supposed to look like, right? Um, for some people, uh, a leader's going to look like a politician out in front of a group of people, and they're going to look like this right here. I'm able to be up front. I'm able to, to give out my agenda, to give my plan. You're going to see this a lot over the upcoming months as we have debates going. Here's how I'm going to fix all the problems that I've been a part of for years and years and years. And people are going to try to figure all that stuff out. Um, some people, when they think leadership, they don't think a guy in front of a group of people like that. They think of maybe like a military leader or a general. Someone who looks like this. Someone who's up front, giving out the commands, leading the way. But when Jesus showed us a picture of leadership, it looked completely different. It looked like this. He gave us a picture of someone who humbled himself and gave up everything to serve the people that he loved. So you got to give up to go up. Okay? 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the example that Jesus set for us. Because in biblical authority, biblical authority requires that, that the more you move up, you have to increase your servanthood and give up your rights. We just started, talk, started this off by talking about all the authority that we have and all the power that we have and all the stuff that we can do. And we can speak to mountains and the mountains have got to move and the devil's got to run and hide his sorry tail because here comes the church. But this principle keeps us in check as his church. His biblical authority requires that as you move up, you increase your servanthood and give up your rights. John said it best, John the Baptist, he said, he's got to increase, i got to decrease. So like, if you're looking at the church and how we operate here at Eastgate Church, or any church, for that matter, that's operating correctly, all right, for me, here at this church, I'm the pastor. I'm the lead pastor of the church, which means that I am the highest level of human authority here in the church. And some people will say, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You get to be the man. You get to get up there and tell everybody what you're thinking. Woo! And you get to say, hey, I want you guys to do this. And everybody in church has got to do what you say. Hopefully, except Dave Varney, who still will not be an SEC football fan. In rebellion, sir. But anyway, uh, they, you got to listen. You got to listen to what Pastor Josh says. And if Pastor Josh wants the lights to be like this, we got to put the lights like this because he's the pastor. He, he's the boss. And he gets to take off anytime he wants to because he's the pastor and he's in charge. And if you want something to happen, then it happens. If you want something to change, then it changes, except for these stupid burgundy chairs that we've had for 35 years here in this church that I can't get rid of. It doesn't matter. We moved to a new location, and I still got to look at these stinking chairs. Man, but anyway, but they're, not, they're comfortable, right? They're comfortable. So anyway, so you would think that you're the man, you in charge, you get to do this, you get to do that. There is a huge price tag that comes with doing what I do because I have got to serve I'm not the lead pastor of the church. I'm lead pastor of the church, but I'm the lead servant in the church. There's a price tag that comes with that. If you want to be part of the worship band, there's a price tag that comes with taking that, that step and becoming involved and operating in that level of authority in the church. That means you got to get up stinking early on Sunday and be up here for sound checks and, and, and walkthroughs and run-throughs at 8 o'clock. That means that you got to give up an evening during the week for practice. You know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a servanthood cycle in there, and you got to give up your rights. you got to give up an evening. And if Pastor Shelley says, hey, uh, I think we need to have an extra practice, then you got to make that happen because there's a price tag that comes with that. As a pastor, I'm accountable to God on a level 
that scares the mess out of me. Every word that I say, I'm held accountable for. You realize that? Whew! That, that, made, that makes you want to think a little bit before you open your mouth behind a pulpit. The Bible says that those that teach are held to a higher level of accountability. Any pastor in this church, higher level. Any teacher in this church, a higher level. Because you have to give up some of your rights and adopt another level of servanthood in order to operate correctly. Okay? Because I'll tell you this, any leadership that demands to be served rather than to serve is satanic in its origin. Every time it's satanic in its nature. You know, if you see that happening in the church, you're seeing the spirit of the enemy at work in the church. Because the correct operation for a leader in the church is to serve. Not to be a doormat, but to serve. Okay? So I'm accountable to a ton of different people groups, man. I'm, I'm accountable to, to you as a church. I'm accountable to you to get up and give you a, a great word every week that's going to equip you to go out and be who God has called you to be. I'm accountable to put my face in the Bible to study, to spend time in the closet of prayer so I can hear from God to bring you a fresh word every week and not some kind of stale junk that I've had on a shelf for, for eight months to bring you something fresh and living and active. I'm accountable to do that. i got to give up. Some freedom to be able to do that. i got to pay a price to be able to do that. I'm accountable to the volunteers of this church to make sure that they are in an environment that is seeing their gifts and their talents being invested in and not used or squandered. You know, a lot of churches are bad about using people up and throwing them away and using people up and throwing them away. That's not how the church functions. We build into your calling. We build into those gifts and talents to set you up to be able to do what God has called you to do with your life. Whether that means you're in this church forever or you're in this church for two years or ten years, we do our part to set you up so you can be everything that God has called you to be. And I have to serve the volunteers of this church that way. The department leaders in this church, I'm accountable to them. I've got to train them and teach them every month and keep the vision fresh and serve them and make sure that if they're having trouble that I come in and, and do what I can do. And if I can't solve the problem that they're facing, I get somebody with the skills to be able to do it. I'm accountable to the board of this church. And I, I, I'm accountable to so many different people groups. Accountable, 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 accountable. To serve, to serve, to serve, you know. Um, when, when something happens in, in a family, in the church, okay. I want to say this. I say this a lot. I want to say this again. I thank God for C.J. Varney and the church care ministry of our church. They do a phenomenal job of taking care of this family. I'm telling you. They, they, they bring meals. They, they go and pray with people at, at their homes and, and, and in the hospitals, you know. But, but they're always busy doing stuff, but I'm always apprised of what's happening, and I'm having to watch that. And if something happens that's, that's really serious in a family, somebody's in the hospital for something serious, you know, not blood work or a test or something, but something serious, big car wreck. I get a phone call at 3 in the morning. Guess who gets to go to the hospital at 3 in the morning? Me. Me. Because I accepted this level of responsibility. That means that I have, to, I have to serve at this level and be available at this level. i got to give up my rights 
to be able to do it. You have to give up to go up. And if you serve in any level of ministry, you have to give up an aspect to be able to move up into that area of service. It's the principle that's in Scripture. All right, It's, it's, a, it's not just a principle, but it's an, an example that Jesus set with his life. He humbled himself. He gave everything up to serve you and to serve me as our Savior. Now, that's cool. That's cool to me. I can, I can do that because I know that it's worth it. But it's a great filter, though, that he put in place to keep us in check, to keep pride from becoming an issue, you know, to, to, to keep the enemy from coming in and, and messing up the authoritative operation of his church on this earth. Um, biblical leadership is a stewardship. It's temporary, and we're accountable for it. I'm accountable to God for everything that I do. Um, now, here's the deal. We are all, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, okay, we're all called what? Christians, right? All right, that means that we are part of the church, correct? So that means that we're part of the body of Christ, correct? I'm going to wake y'all up. Y'all got, that, y'all got that teaching glaze on your eyes right now. We're called the body. Everybody say body. body. The body of Christ. That's what we're a part of. Now, the Bible says this, that God causes the body to grow or his church to grow as each part of that body does what? Cricket, cricket, cricket. As each part of that body does what? It's part. It's part. As each part of that body does its work. Biblical leadership is a stewardship. It's temporary and we're accountable for it. And we're accountable if we don't do it. Do, 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 It is so uncomfortable in this place right now. People are looking at the floor and looking at the back of the head of the person in front of them. We're accountable if we don't do our part. Truth is truth, right? Woo! God loves me. Thank you, God, for your grace. As each part does its work. Come look at the time. Man, that's time to... Each part does his work. Y'all remember that parable of the talents Jesus told where he gave this one cat a whole bunch of talents, the guy in the story? You get a bunch of talents. And he came up to this other guy and he said, you're not going to get as much as this guy, but I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you a, a good bit. I'm going to give you this. And there's one guy, that the, the master in the story, he says, I'm going to give you one talent. So the guy with a bunch of talents went out, and he used his talents, and he got more talents, and he did good. And the other guy went out, and he, he made a whole bunch with, with the talents that he got. And the guy that got the one talent buried it and didn't do anything with it. How did that go for him? It no good. It did not go good at all. Listen to me, church. All right? Listen to me. I just got a lot taller. I love this. Pastor Josh, talk. listen. Do you really want to stand in front of God at the end of your life and look Him in the eyes 
and have him hold you accountable for the fact that you had a calling on your life, but you buried it and didn't step into it. Or that you had a gift that could have served this church, but you didn't want to pay the price to give up your rights to put it into practice. That you had the potential of the authority that Jesus established in his church, but you chose to bury it and not live in it because we are all going to be held accountable for how we've lived our lives and for what we've done with Jesus and what we've done with the calling that he's put on our lives and the gifts and the talents that he's given us to carry it out. And I can promise you this, God hasn't called any of us in this church to sit in a chair for 30 years and not do anything to contribute to the church that we say that we're a part of. Because his authority does not work that way. But we're held accountable for it. Now that ought to get you excited. I'm excited because I can't wait to stand in front of God and say, come on in, good and faithful servant. You did awesome. You did your best. That's what I'm striving for. But man, I don't want to be that guy that's going to stand there and he'll say, hey, um, boy, I, I sure did a whole lot and I sure gave you a whole lot and you did absolutely nothing with it. It's temporary and we're accountable for it. We're accountable for it. Daggum, I'm running out of time this morning. Um, To operate in, in spiritual authority, we have to grow our relationship with God and give up spiritual infancy. You got to give up spiritual infancy. That's big. That's big. That means that in this process that we're in and getting one step closer to God as he's growing and changing and moving in our lives, that we don't get stuck on step two and just celebrate God's grace and love in our lives and allow him to pour it, love, pour the love, pour the love, pour the love. But then we forget about the steps that he wants to grow us into in our calling and service and responsibility as part of his governing body in this earth. Making sense? Well, yes, everybody's still kind of looking at the floor a little bit. Not trying to make you uncomfortable. Just trying to share what God put on my heart. Matthew uh, 16, 24, it reads like this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Everybody say deny. Got to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Galatians 2.20, Paul's writing, and he says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We could chew on that passage of Scripture all day, because Paul gives the what, and he gives the why, and he gives the how. I've been crucified. It's not about me anymore. I'm not in this anymore. I'm here, but this is not my agenda anymore. It's about Jesus that lives in me. And I do what I do because of the love that he showed for me when he gave 
himself for me. It's that lifestyle of worship that we talked about last week in service. Listen, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, let me encourage you to hop on the podcast or hop on the church website and listen to these things and get caught up, man. You want to be in step with what God is doing in your church. Last week was a good word on worship and how it's a lifestyle for us to live out. We've been crucified. In that process of growing, and this is how it looks as we grow. Um, golly, how do I get holiness, spiritual sensitivity, and anointing and gifts? You guys still with me? All right. So we're in this process of growth. We're in this process of developing and learning to walk in this authority by learning to live a lifestyle of servanthood and a lifestyle of denying ourselves and giving up our rights and, and forgetting about who we used to be so that we can become closer to him as he changes us from the inside out. The key to operating in spiritual authority, to seeing the power of God in operation in your life, I'll give this to you in a nutshell, and we're going to have to wrap up today. We'll finish this next week, though, is holiness. The key is holiness. All right. Now that's a 50 cent word that means that I'm becoming less like my old self and becoming more like God. And we call that holiness. I'm getting rid of rid of the static and the interference that the world brings and I'm focusing on the spirit of God and tuning into him. And I'm becoming less like this and more like this. And as I take that step, I become a little more like God and pick up a little more of his character. And I take a step in the process of holiness in my life. Now, this process of holiness has been a huge trap for legalism and opinion in the church. And it has frustrated and I think crippled and, and probably destroyed the spiritual walk of a lot of people. Because the church has been really bad at trying to create a cookie-cutter mold for what a Christian is supposed to look like and act like and talk like and dress like. And, and in order to be holy, you have to dress this way. And in order to be holy, you have to, to, to talk this way and, and carry yourself this way. And there is a biblical standard that we're striving to see manifested in our lives. I get that, That's there because God has called us to be holy. He said, be holy because I am holy. Holy, that's what he said. So without holiness, the Bible says that no one can please the Lord. Yeah. So there's a process of holiness that's developing in our lives. That process is there so that we can increase our spiritual sensitivity. As we get closer to God, we lose the static of the world. We pick up the signal of the Spirit. We're able to hear what he's saying better because we're getting closer to him and as we get closer to him and we hear his spirit we are becoming more more operative in the anointing and the gifts of the spirit in and through our lives because we're becoming more sensitive to spiritual things because we're becoming more like him and less like this now is this making sense all right i'm breaking it down pretty simple this is how it works all right The question is, it lies like the, 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 it's just our approach to this whole thing that either sets us up for success or failure 
in our walk with him and how we approach things as a church, okay? Um, old school, holiness, holy voice lady will say, a Christian ought not to listen to that. Or if you were a real child of God, you wouldn't do this. Well, a Christian don't smoke cigarettes. Well, a Christian can't sip on no beer. Christians shouldn't be listening to rap music. Christians shouldn't be, and you ever realize that that whole approach tells you what you shouldn't do and what you can't do and what shouldn't be done, but it doesn't point towards what could be done, who you could be becoming, and what could be happening in your life. Two completely different motivations. You know, the question isn't can you or can't you. The question is, does this get me closer to God? All right, that becomes the question that, that governs the motivations of our heart and the direction of our life. Does it get me closer to God? You know, uh, pick a show. Um, whoo, uh, here's a big one. Boy, this is splitting churches. Uh, Game of Thrones is, is, a, is a, a series that just ended. Pastor Josh, did you watch Game of Thrones? No. I think dragons are cool, but I didn't watch it um, because of personal convictions. Nothing to do with that show. But somebody will say, well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't watch Game of Thrones because it's got cussing in it and it's got nudity in it and you can see people's buttocks as they run around and you can see all that stuff. And I get it, okay? But the question and the issue isn't should or shouldn't a Christian watch that, all right? Because here's the deal. There's a variance of perspective on issues dependent upon where we are and our walk with God, and how close we are with Him, and how deep into this game called Christianity that we are, okay? If you just got saved, and you're trying to figure out how to get to church, and you can barely find your behind with both hands when it comes to your walk with God, do you think that's going to be on your radar just yet? But if you've been saved for 15, 20 years, whatever, and you are incredibly close to God and so sensitive to your spirit, and you've discovered that the closer you get to God, the less it takes to offend his spirit because you know him on a deeper level and he holds you accountable for more and you're there and you can pray with people and feel the presence of God and see God moving and you've understood that the price paid in getting become less like this has resulted in the fruit of the Spirit of God and His anointing and His presence and the spiritual gifts and operation in your life. You have that perspective, but that person doesn't yet. So the question isn't, you, sh you shouldn't be saying, you shouldn't do that. The question has to be, does this get you closer to God? And if it does, let it go. If it doesn't, then it's got to go. Okay? I would say, well, Pastor Josh, what are you saying? Should we watch it or shouldn't we? This is what I'm saying. You need to pray. You need to get close to God. And you need to let him tell you. Because at the end of the day, let me tell you this. My opinion doesn't, it doesn't amount to jack squat. All right? My opinion and my preference doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Okay? I'm not the Holy Spirit for you. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit for you. But here's what I know. If you will just take the steps to get closer to him, he'll change you. From the inside out. You're not going to need somebody saying. If you're a Christian. You shouldn't do this. Or if you're a Christian. You shouldn't do that. All you need. Is God changing your heart. And your desires. And your focus. And as you get closer to him. 
man, you're going to be all about him, his presence, his word. You're going to be all about getting closer to him because you are, you, you are finally experiencing him on a deeper level and you've understood it's about getting rid of this and picking up this because you've got to give up in order to go up. I'm not here to tell you what you can or can't do. I'm here to get you in love with Jesus. And I know that he will do what he needs to do in your heart to get you there. All right? Now, half of you are shouting amen, and some of you are looking like, like I just spoke heresy in the church. But, hey, what, what was the example that Jesus set? What was the example? Who did Jesus hang out with? I got to stop preaching, and we'll be here all day. You know, you know who Jesus blasted all the time? It was the Pharisees and religious people trying to tell people what to do and what not to do. Who was he encouraging and pointing towards his father all the time? The people that were jacked up and needed help. And he says, hey, just a synopsis of his life. Come on to me. Let me do a work in your heart. And we'll change you from the inside out. And as you get closer to me, you'll give it up to grow closer to me and go up in the spiritual authority. And you'll find yourself operating in higher levels of function in the church. You'll find yourself operating in a more powerful realm of spiritual authority because you're showing that I can trust you with the keys as you get closer to me. And that's when the fun stuff starts to happen. And I got to stop there. Next week, we're going to start talking about the fun stuff that's going to happen in your lives as we take this step. Next week, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that the devil likes to do. Because this is what I know, that when we're not growing and getting closer to God and following his pattern for the church, you know what the Bible calls people who don't do that? It's called rebellion. Woohoo! Can't wait for that one. That's going to be awesome. We're going to be jumping and shouting on that. That's just going to be part of it. But there is a huge promise, though. As we're obedient, we see the fruit of obedience. Amen? Now, I got a question for you. Are you guys ready to take a next step today to get closer to God? Are you ready to give up just a little bit in order to go up in a higher level of function and spiritual authority? Yeah? Let's all stand as we get ready to close service today. This is what I know. The last point on all of this stuff I was going to share today is this. Operating in spiritual authority is about us stepping into our calling and potential in Christ. It's not about what we don't do. It's about all the stuff that we get to do. It's about all the fun stuff that we get to see God do in and through us. And I think some of our churches lost all of that. You know, and this is a big push. If we get this individually, if we get this as a church, we're getting something huge because God has called every one of us to operate in authority in his church. Amen? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I talked a lot today about churchy stuff, about the function of the church and almost it could almost be interpreted as kind of an internal discussion on conduct and, and how we're supposed to live at you're a Christian and, and maybe you're here today and, and you're a guest or you're here today and you've been coming to Eastgate for a little while and this is kind of something that you're looking at from the outside in because Jesus isn't Lord and Savior of your life and if that's you today I want to encourage you 
I don't walk out here today without getting that right. I want you to know that God loves you right now, where you are. And he could not possibly love you any more than he does right now. The Bible says that he sent his son Jesus to die for all of us, to pay a price for the sin that was in our lives. He, we couldn't pay that price ourselves. God loved us so much that he didn't want us to be separated from him anymore. He didn't want any of us to have to go to hell. So he sent his son to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could see that transformation take place in our hearts. Not to become part of a religion, not to become part of a religious system, but to have a relationship with an eternal God that is madly in love with us. And all the stuff that we talked about today, it, it, it starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus it's all about him maybe you're here today and Jesus isn't Lord and Savior of your life maybe you're here and if I were to ask you if you were to die right now you know where would you spend eternity maybe you couldn't give me an answer maybe you would say well I hope I would go to heaven I'm not 100% sure well you can be 100% sure today the Bible says that if we accept Jesus our Lord and Savior, that that if we confess our sins to Him, that if we receive His love and forgiveness,